Rejoice, rejoice, believers, and let your light appear. And today is the third Sunday of Advent, and it's meant to be a bit of a pause in the preparations, a pause in what was the season of fasting. Today we light a pink candle in the Advent wreath, and the idea is that that dark blue or purple gets a little lighter. We relax our serious preparations. Now at the 10.30 service, we may take that a bit far this morning at Holy Communion as we sing lessons and carols for Christmas. This third Sunday of Advent is called Gaudete, Rejoice Sunday. But what if you don't feel like rejoicing? This season can be rough if you don't feel like rejoicing. This season of compulsory parties Many workplaces expect you to show up and celebrate. Christmas cheer drips off of everything these days. Starting the day after Halloween, they begin dragging out the lights and the tinsel. Maybe you love this time of year. Maybe you're a fan of all the peppermint. But maybe the rejoicing doesn't come as easily. Maybe the party invitations are tough. Maybe all that manufactured energy around the holidays leaves you feeling tired. Maybe all the cheer leaves you wondering why you're left feeling down while everyone else is up. What if you don't feel much like rejoicing? Thankfully, where cultural nostalgia would have us all smiling and singing Christmas carols, scripture is a bit more realistic in Advent. (laughs) The stories we read in this season help us know that God comes not because we got it all of the decorations just right. God comes into the world not because we manufactured the best celebration or dug joy out of the deep recesses of our heart. God comes in the midst of the mess. God comes in a world filled with frustration, oppression, and yes, even pain. All of our scripture this morning speaks to people who are in dire straits. The spirit of the Lord is upon Isaiah because the Lord has announced, anointed him to bring good news to the oppressed, to bind up the brokenhearted. John the Baptist is being quizzed by Jewish leaders looking for a savior to get rid of their Roman oppressors. Paul writes to the Thessalonians and asks them to give thanks in all circumstances, which just makes you wonder how bad those poor Thessalonians had it. This morning, though, I want to spend a bit of time with the psalm. Ellen Davis, a professor of Old Testament at Duke Divinity School, has said that for most of her life, she didn't really understand the last two lines of this psalm. Those who sowed with tears will reap with songs of joy. Those who go out weeping, carrying the seed, will come again with joy, shouldering their sheaves. On one level, she said, the lines did make sense to her. She got that God wants to take our sadness and give us joy. She said she really didn't understand the image fully, until she taught the Psalms at a seminary in the Sudan. Much of the Bible is an agrarian document. The songs and stories are formed by people who depend on the land and who know hunger. 
In the Sudan, Davis taught priests who were also farmers. She met women who had lived these lines from the psalm. Families who had to decide how much of the seed to hold back. See, families in the, in the Sudan at harvest time face a decision when holding handfuls of seed. Do I feed my family now? Do I grind up this grain now? Or do I go hungry and plant some of it in the earth? Those who go out weeping, carrying the seed, will come again with joy, shouldering their sheaves. Davis, there in the Sudan, understood the line more fully. God is there with those who weep. God is there with the oppressed. God is there in the midst of our suffering. God is not just with those who are rejoicing. Our God is the God who chooses the brokenhearted, the God who restores fortunes. The same scripture scholar Ellen Davis has said, in order to have hope, you have to see the depth and dimensions of the problem. The real work of hope requires seeing the fullness of the hurt, Often, the practice of hope is painful. The better part of a decade ago, on the third Sunday of Advent, I had the chance to hear the final sermon of a legendary preacher. The Reverend Gordon Cosby was chaplain at the invasion of Normandy on D-Day. When he returned from the war, Cosby set out to found one of the first integrated churches in Washington, D.C. Church of the Savior wasn't like other churches. Membership requirements were high. The church required you to give away a portion of your income and to give hours of service in local homeless shelters and a hospice that the church ran. And Cosby's reputation as a church leader grew and grew. He received invitations to speak all over the country he turned them all down. He wanted Church of the Savior to say small. At one point in the life of the church, they were worshiping in a brick and mortar building, and a few hundred people were coming each Sunday. After a few years of this, Cosby encouraged the gathered church to scatter. The bigger church fragmented into worshiping communities based in homes and coffee shops. And to the outside world, it looked like failure. So many churches worry about growth, about numbers. If you asked church consultants, most would say that disbanding your worshiping community, selling your building, well, that's a failure. Cosby would question that wisdom. Seven years ago, I got to hear Gordon's last sermon. He preached in a living room not far from DuPont Circle. Hundreds of folks came to hear this last sermon. The room was full of major Christian movers and shakers. I sat right behind Jim Wallace, the founder of Sojourners Magazine and a religious advisor to a number of presidents. Brian McLaren, a major Christian writer, several theologians and bishops, they were all gathered round, sitting in folding chairs, leaning on tables and sitting on the staircase in the hallway. 
For his last sermon, Gordon Cosby talked about tension. What was remarkable was he read more Walter Brueggemann than he gave his own words. Walter Brueggemann's another theologian. He was reading long passages from his book. Cosby's message was simple. We invited to live as Christians with tension. Tension comes about because Christians are meant to be centered in the kingdom of God, ruled by the values of justice and love. Yet Christians realistically must interact with a world that constantly falls short. Tension. He noted that the church needed both elders like himself, who had practiced living in this tension, and young idealists who could imagine ways to allow the kingdom to spill through a bit more. From the outside looking in, you could say that Cosby's church looked like a failure. But each Sunday, hundreds of people gather, not in one place, not in one building, but across the whole metro area. Cosby's church believes in the ministry of regular folk, baptized people. Church of the Savior is serious. They pair people up and put them in small groups. And then they charge these little groups, these two and three people groups, to start a new ministry. This little church has never had more than a few hundred members. It's founded over 40 successful nonprofits in the greater Washington, D.C. area that serve the poor. Homeless shelters, job readiness programs, after school programs, diversity trainings, you name it, the church has done it. The impact of Church of the Savior is far bigger than the image. Rejoice. Rejoice. That little word can be difficult to hear for some of us. It's okay if you're not ready to rejoice today. That's always okay. Remember the story we'll tell next week. God comes amidst what looks like failure. Jesus is born and lays in a manger, a trough for animals to feed. God's arrival was the antithesis of all the decoration. God came among the oppressed and those who mourned. Rejoice. If you dig a bit, is a word for those who struggle. Rejoice, it means to gladden. Well, if you're going to gladden, you have to recognize that we don't all start out with joy this season. In order to really hope, you have to know the depth and dimension of the problem. And in order to hope, you have to realize God knows the depths and dimensions better than we. God is there with you, sowing with tears. God will be in the midst of the joy as well. God is with us already, and God is coming again into our life. Whether you are joyful or sorrowful, God is there. Give thanks. Amen.